very interesting message. Um, I think it's actually a really good uh, precursor to what I'm going to speak on today, and that's uh, how to be content in this life. Let me see if I can. There. Oh, there we go. It's how to be content in this life because of, uh, as Lucas uh, explained, the world has changed definitions, and um, we are removed ourselves so far from Yahweh's intentions. Um, even in our own um, understanding of words, the world pushes Yahweh away. And as they do that, a lot of us can succumb to the world as well on a day-to-day basis, and we can become discontent. So I like to speak on contentment, how we can be happier in our lives, how we can be happier with the things we we own and we have, and not uh, dwell on things that we want. We live in a society of stuff. The United States is one of the wealthiest nations in the world. You would think that we'd be one of the happiest nations in the world, right? I mean, you drive around the United States and go north, south, east, and west on the highways and byways, and what do you see? You see storage units everywhere. Because we can't, our houses aren't big enough. Our houses are also twice the size as they used to be. I mean, back in, back when my grandfather was a child, you know, they, they would raise five kids like I am in a, a house that probably was barely 1,000 square feet. Now, you know, two people live in a 5,000-square-foot home. So we've kind of changed our whole uh, outlook on life and and what we need. According to uh, U.S. News & World Report in an article titled U.S. Among Most Depressed Countries in the World, it says the U.S. is one of the most depressed countries in the world, according to the World Health Organization. In terms of quality years of life lost due to disability or death, a widely adopted public health metric that measures the overall burden of disease, the U.S. ranked third for unipolar depressive disorders just after India and China. India, China, and the U.S. are also the countries most affected by anxiety, schizophrenia, and bipolar disorder, according to WHO. About one in five adults in the U.S. experiences some form of mental illness each year. That's pretty crazy. One in five? Wow. Wow. According to the National Alliance of Mental Illness, but only about 41% of those affected received mental health care or services in the past year. We've kind of seen some of that even with with school shootings. And we've got 18-year-olds with mental health disorders these days killing people. I mean, things are getting terrible out there. Uh, Fortune Magazine's article, Depression is Now the World's Most Widespread Illness, opens up with this shocking information. Chances are you or someone you know has grappled with depression. The global rate of disorder, uh, which the World Health Organization defines as a persistent sadness and loss of interest in activities that people normally enjoy, accompanied by an inability to carry out daily activities for two weeks or more, has risen by more than 18% since 2005, according to the agency. In 2015, the WHO estimated 322 million people were living with depression, making it the leading cause of ill health and disability worldwide. Wrongingly, if unsurprisingly, the agency found that the majority of those with the condition aren't receiving adequate care. In high-income countries, it estimates 50% of those with the disorder don't get treatment, while in low-income countries, that number rises from 80% to 90%. I like to interject right there, too, that you know nowadays treatment is drugs. I mean, so many people are, are just um, ramped on all these drugs when... Yahweh's remedies are completely different, and we're going to get into some of that. So I'm going to ask you, how about you? Are you content? Are you happy? Just think about it. In your own personal life, are you happy? 
Um, Do you find yourself in slumps of depression? Today, I would like to give you five steps that can help you deal or even possibly stave off your depression. And these are the five steps that I came up with, kind of evaluating what I believe is triggering a lot of these problems. And um, I'm sure there's, there's a lot more, but I believe these are the main ones. I know it's helped me in certain instances in the past. The first one here, step number one, don't look for happiness in things. Have you ever heard of anyone lying on their deathbed saying, you know what, I wish I would have acquired more stuff right before he died? You ever thought about that? Maybe I wish I would have got that Corvette, you know, and then they just pass, pass on. No one's ever going to say that. In our last breaths here on this round globe, we will ponder our lives, our loved ones, who we leave behind, how we acted, and what we made of our lives. Here is the truth that we will face. We are not measured or judged by the things we acquire, but rather how we live our lives, how we treated people, how we raised our children, and who they became. The legacy we live is built on our actions, not money or things that fall apart and rust away into just dirt. At the end of our lives, we will stand before Yahweh on an equal playing field with the rich and the poor. It has been said that every physical item we bring into our lives creates more worry. Each possession represents one more thing that can be broken, scratched, or stolen. There's a saying that goes, the price of anything is the amount of life you exchange for it. At the end of the day, we don't buy things with money. We buy them with hours of our lives. If you would turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, but where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's powerful. The things we bring with us into Yahweh's kingdom, if we make it, is our experiences that we learned in this life. I mean, that's really what we're here for. This is like a... Think of this as school. This is Yahweh's school. He doesn't want robots. He wants us to accept him. He wants us to understand him. He doesn't want to make us follow him. He wants us to willingly follow him. But I will say that I I think we can bring something more than that. I do think we can bring our children in a way. If we raise our children right and they can attain salvation, essentially we are bringing them as well, hopefully. So with all this, does that mean we can't have nice things? Of course not. We can have things like cars and houses and every, everything we use on our day, ex- daily existence. We enjoy those things. We, we enjoy having those things. But, and it's a caveat, if the process of purchasing or owning these things, if that's what makes you happy in life, then I think you need to reevaluate your life. Do you need to buy to feel good and step, stem off depression? If you get depression, you buy something, that's a problem if, if it makes you feel better for just a short time. If this is a case, you may want to reevaluate your motives and the reasons for these possessions. If the possession you purchase makes you a slave or takes you away from your family or Yahweh, then you want to reconsider owning that and maybe possibly removing that from your life. We need to be grateful for what we have and the provisions that Yahweh has given us. And he will continue to do so. Let's keep reading um, in Matthew 16, 22. The eye, is the, or the eye is the lamp of the body. 
If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Neither you, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Yahweh and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body. What you will wear is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Our life is, a, is completely given to us by Yahweh. It's every day, every hour we live, it's a, or a minute we live, is a gift by, by him. The world, especially in America, loves material things. And the world judges us. By material things. So let's not fall into that trap. Let's let Yahweh be our judge, not the world. Philippians 4, 12. You don't need to turn there. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is where we pull our our uh, happiness from is Yahweh. Ecclesiastes 5.10, the NIV reads, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the, to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundant permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and everyone comes as they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. Having five children... I've had to learn what my priorities were. In fact, I'm still learning it. As The older I get, I, I learn every day. Here's just one personal example. Over the years, when we were in need of clothing for our children, we always had friends and relatives, Dusty, Cindy, my parents. There's a, a lot of other people, Randy, Jenny. There's always other people out there that gave us clothing. Maybe some of their children were uh, hand-me-downs that were older than some of ours, so... Uh, that has helped us tremendously. If anyone of you ever had to shop for five kids, you'll understand that can, uh, that can reach into the, the many hundreds pretty quickly. And it's also happened to me in, in other ways, too, financially as well. Yahweh always supplies the needs when you need them. If you put your faith on him, the, the secret is, or I, the hard part is, putting your faith in him sometimes. Continuing on, uh, verse 28 and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how Yahweh clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's, the, that's the, the key. That's the first thing we need to seek. And all these things will be given to you. 
Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Step number two, don't compare yourself to others. Attention, Facebook users. Maybe I should say addicts. Attention, Facebook addicts. It's a mistake to judge yourself by other people. To do so will almost certainly bring on depression or discontent. There's always, con- there's always going to be someone out there who is better looking, can run faster, sew better, play music better, make better food, smarter, more organized, more biblically astute, calmer, happier. You get the picture. Here's a word of advice. Don't use Facebook as the measuring bar on how you look at your own life. So many people put on a huge front. Most post the good parts of their life. You don't see a lot of the negatives. You see all the good things. I think maybe, I know Rush Limbaugh calls it face, or fake book. I think in some ways that's very true. Just take it with a grain of salt and don't feel the need to compete. You know the challenges that you have in your life and the goals in your life. Work on those things. Your struggles are your struggles and they're not anyone else's struggles. You have strengths and weaknesses that are far different than anyone that you know now or you're ever going to meet in the future. Yahweh has also blessed you with gifts that edify him. And you need to find those gifts. Instead of looking at other people and try to follow what they do, find the gifts that you have, that Yahweh has given you, and then edify him with those gifts. You will feel way more fulfilled in life. Psychology Today has this interesting write-up regarding Facebook. So I think this one's a little lengthy here, but it's, I have to read it because it's so good. It says, feeling sad after you log out isn't the only way Facebook takes a toll on your mental health. A study that will be published in the June 2016 issue of Current Opinion in Psychology found that envying your friends on Facebook leads to depression. Scrolling through happy status updates, exciting vacation photos, and beautiful family moments led participants to compare their lives with those of their Facebook friends. Those, those social comparisons led people to assume their Facebook friends had better lives, and those feelings of envy increased their chances of developing depression. Despite the emotional toll, more than 70% of users check Facebook daily. So why on earth do people keep coming back for more if Facebook causes them to be sad? Researchers say it stems from a psychological term called effective forecasting. Studies confirm that people predict Facebook is going to make them feel better. They assume, albeit incorrectly, that 20 minutes of Facebook activity will boost their mood. They don't recognize that it's actually robbing them of joy. So the cycle continues. Someone assumes Facebook will give a momentary break from stress or a quick opportunity to check in with their friends, but ultimately, that individual isn't likely to communicate with their friends, nor is the Facebook visit likely to boost his or her mood. Yet there is, good, there is a good chance the person will fail to recognize the personal toll being taken, and he or she will keep coming back for more. The good news is, simply being aware that Facebook can harm your emotional well-being can help you keep a watchful eye on your social media activity. Limit your mindless scrolling and try to prevent Facebook from standing in the way of your productivity, at least most days. Becoming more mindful of your passive Facebook use will reduce the amount of time you waste, which in turn can help you feel better. I was reading that article to Lucas the other day, and he immediately reminded me of the Tenth Commandment, which says, Thou shalt not covet anything that is your neighbor's. 
And then, of course, that reminded me of the ninth commandment. There shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And I know I've seen both of those on Facebook. So we need to be, we need to be vigilant. And we also need to realize in our minds that the utopia we see in people's lives isn't always what it's cracked up to be. And I hope a lot of people have great lives. I'm not saying that they, that they don't. But I do think sometimes that we measure their, what we see and then we try to measure our lives to that, and it, and it puts us in a state of depression. <clears throat> so when you, when you think about these commandments, I'll reread them. The ninth, there shall not bear false witness against thy neighbor. And the tenth, tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet anything that is your neighbor's. Do you think that these commandments are just laws that Yahweh forces on mankind simply because he wants to control us? Or do you think Yahweh knows what we need in our lives, in our own happiness? The answer is obvious. Second Corinthians 10, 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Step three, don't look for the negative in people. I think we can all fall into this trap from time to time. Here's the secret to this one. If you're looking for negativity in people, you're going to find it. I guarantee you're going to find it. You're going to probably find a lot of it. None of us are perfect. And if we dwell on looking for those things in other people, instead of looking at the positive, it's going to hurt our lives. I'm sure you know people who dwell on negativity. And you might also notice the then the next uh, leads it leads into gossip afterwards, and then they got to go tell someone else about it because uh, I think this comes from an unhappiness inside, and they are looking for someone who's more miserable than they are, so they can feel better about themselves, and it can, it can elevate themselves, so they kind of forget about their own problems. But don't fall into this trap. If you feel the need to gossip about others to get like this emotional high, realize that you will succumb to that negativity even more later. Why, you might ask? Because negativity is addictive. If you don't remember anything else from this sermon, remember this. Negativity is like a drug. It gives you a temporary high as you feel better about someone else's personal issues. But then later you come crashing down. You keep looking for more negativity in people to elevate yourself, and you get caught in a vicious cycle. That's why a lot of people that are negative, they're negative all the time. Never seem to be happy. They're just constantly negative because they've given in to that that spirit, that that evilness that Satan wants to to, uh, expound on. Think of the acronym SAINT. You start thinking about negativity. We like acronyms here at YRM. And Steve, if you're watching this, this one's for you. Saint. Saints against impure negative thought. By the way, I made that up real quickly. <laughs> I was trying to be witty, so take it, take it with a grain of salt. <clears throat> so how can you break the cycle, you might ask? Well, there are several ways to do that if you happen to get into that cycle. But I'm going to talk about one that works for me. And this work, this, I've seen this during the feasts. I've seen this, um, you know, just on, on Sabbath. This always helps no matter what. And that 
is step number four to being content, and that is serving others. Think about the times you have helped someone in your life. I'm sure you can all think of one instance. I mean, just think right now of one instance. Doesn't matter if it's, you know, last week, a year ago, whatever. Just think in your mind of one instance where you just gave of yourself and helped somebody. It makes you feel good, doesn't it? Even, I can think of one right now, years ago. I'm not going to say it. I can think of it. But it still makes me feel good. I, I'm smiling thinking about it because I helped that person. It never wears off. It's not like negativity. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we never forget and it makes us happy when we help someone else? Why does that give us this huge fulfillment inside? I'll tell you why. It's because you gave something of you. And that something of you is your personal time. Yahweh only gives us so much time on this earth. When you give some of that time to someone else, you feel fulfilled. To break it down even farther, because you have given a part of yourself, be it a fraction of your life, to someone else, you have shown pure love. John chapter 5 verse 13 says, Yahshua says, Greater life hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now you may not be giving all your life, as Yahshua mentions here, but you are giving a fraction of that life. And that is love. Love is not about you when you break it down. Love is about you showing affection and care to another person. And that's what makes love so amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices within or with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 is a segue into the final tip I have for you today on how to live a content life. And that is, forgiveness, it's therapeutic. When you refuse to forgive others for things that have happened to you in the past, you set yourself up on a path of self-destruction and unhappiness and bitterness. Gossip and negativity enters in. Uh, spending your mental and emotional energy focused on anger and resentment is no way to live a life. It will ultimately consume you. Something to ponder is forgiveness is as much for you as it is for the other person. Let me say that again because I don't think we quite understand that. Forgiveness is as much for you as it is for the other person. To not forgive, you're depriving yourself of happiness. Forgiveness allows you to let go of the past and put your mind at peace. Do you have high stress in your life? The answer may be forgiveness. A Time Magazine article entitled, Forgiving Other People is, a, is Good for Your Health, had a very interesting take regarding a study that was published in the Journal of Health Psychology regarding forgiveness. It said, researchers looked at the effects of lifetime stress on a person's mental health and how more forgiving people fared compared to those who weren't so forgiving. To do this, they asked 148 young adults to fill out questionnaires that assess their levels of lifetime stress, their tendency to forgive, and their mental and physical health. No surprise, people with greater exposure to stress over their lifetimes had worse mental and physical health. 
But the researchers also discovered that if people were highly forgiving of both themselves and others, that characteristic alone virtually eliminated the connection between stress and mental illness. It almost entirely erased its statistics to statistically zero, says study author Lauren Townsend, an associate professor of psychology at Luther College in Iowa. If you don't have forgiving tendencies, you feel the raw effects of stress in an unmitigated way. You don't have a buffer against that stress. Maybe that is why Yahshua was so adamant about forgiveness. Um, in Matthew, if you'd turn there with me, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, he, uh, he talks about this and then he gives a parable. Um, and you know, when Yahshua gave parables, it, it just kind of hit, it hit a home run, I think. You read the scripture and then you, then you hear the parable and it just it becomes a part of you. And you become emotionally tied to that, to that understanding. And he, obviously, you know, he was a master at it. He was the Messiah. So then came Peter to him and said, Master, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Yashra said unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Then he goes into the parable. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. But forasmuch as he had not to pay, his master commanded him to be sold, and his wife and his children, and all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, and loosed him, and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him, and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay thee all. And he, he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their master all that was done. Then the master, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all the debt because thou desired desires me, shouldest thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I have had pity on thee? And his master was wroth and delivered him to his tormentors, till he should pay all that was due him. So likewise shall my heavenly father, this is the culmination, so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you, if from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So what does that tell us? It tells us we don't have a choice in the matter. We have to forgive because we don't want to be like this wicked servant. There's no way around it. Yahweh forgives us every day of our debt that we occur by sin and the, and the things we do as human beings. And if that debt comes in the way of insults or rudeness or emotional stress or whatever that is from someone to you, you need to forgive as Yahweh forgives us for the debt that we incur to him. So when life gets you down and depressed, start setting in, remember these five steps, and evaluate your life according to them, and I'm sure you will snap out of it. Number one, just go through them again. Don't look for happiness in things. Number two, don't compare yourself to others. Number three, don't look for the negative in people. Number four, serve others. That's the key to get you out of your slump. And number five, forgiveness. 
So I'd like to leave you with two scriptures to ponder. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-7 says, But righteousness with contentment is greater gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. That's a good leveler to think about in our minds when we start getting into wanting material things. We came in with nothing, and we're going to leave with nothing. And the last one, I love this one. I love the Apostle Paul, too. But, I mean, the man did so much. I mean, he had such a turn in his life, thinking about how he persecuted those uh, of Yahweh's people and then became one of the, the greatest advocates of it and had to deal with so much in his life. I love this scripture. It says, That is why, for Messiah's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. So uh, thank you for listening to that. I hope that if you do have stress in your life, you try to apply some of these um, tips and that uh, you will become a better person and a better saint. Remember that acronym because of it. Hallelujah.